I've been talking to different people about the podcast. I've been talking to different people about. I've been talking. Oh wait, this is recording. <laughs> Right, hello and welcome to Accessory Your Thoughts. Uh, <sighs> I've finally got Ryan's. <laughs> Sorry. Born you already. <laughs> uh, I got Ryan to do in, I started a so-called materialism series, but series of one, not really much of a series. So here's the second installment. Series of two. Series of two. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, called Nihilism, a worldview of the blind and... My goal is to show that the materialistic worldview is useless for literally everything when it's in its purest form, and to show that the materialist world uh, viewpoint is a non-worldview, uh, worldview of the blind, as I call it, as it negates the process by which we hold viewpoints. So let's get right into the show. Get cracking. Okay. So nihilism definition. Nihilism in philosophy. Or, uh, is a philosophy or family of views within philosophy that rejects the as- aspects of life or existence, particularly knowledge, objective truth, or meaning. My definition of nihilism would be a belief in only that which is without meaning, spirit, or heaven. This is obviously closely related to materialism. Uh, both share the idea that there is no real purpose, especially none that you didn't create within, from within yourself. Uh, quote, what does nihilism mean? That's the highest values devalue themselves. The aim is lagging. Why finds no answer. End quote, Frederick Nietzsche. So the reasons for the essay. Um, but why is this an issue? Why is it necessary to find meaning? I say is required so not to live a contradictory life or furthermore to even live at all. I say meaning is a direct part of our experience and is intrinsically a part of what makes up the world. I say that it is necessary to bring heaven to earth as one, for there is no unity of heaven and earth without heaven. And from episodes prior, I have suggested the idea that the unification between heaven and earth is an accurate description of what true and pure love looks like, thought and action in harmony. So, boring tools. So the reason for my aim is laid forth, now I shall begin. I claim that materialism is useless when it is in its pure form. So what do I mean by that exactly? When I say it is in its pure form, I mean that you use only the tools given to you by materialism without using any other tools from any other toolboxes when you feel like doing so. Pure materialism. You may object by saying, materialism is obviously useful. Look at the scientific method. Our pesky mechanistic understanding of the universe has allowed things like phones and space rockets, even cures to deadly diseases as well as improved economic structures, allowing the everyday person to be as free as reasonably possible. This is a very good example of stealing from other toolboxes. Yes, the scientific method is extremely useful to figure out the principles of mechanistic processes for which we can use said principles to create things that we can benefit from. However, the idea of the mechanistic principles holding within themselves the idea of a phone or a cure to a disease is unfounded. Someone an observer who is exterior to the physical processes is required to define a meaningful goal to use the tools of materialism to obtain. But that observer who defines meaning is not found within the materialist toolbox. Who or what is to say that phones are useful? 
Pure what is to say that cures for diseases are useful. If you stick within the bounds of materialism, there is no answer to these questions. Value is defined by an observer, outside of the facts. A phone is not useful in being a phone is not useful in obtaining a goal if there is no goal. A cure for disease is not useful if it is ultimately it ultimately doesn't not matter if that disease is cured or not. So once again, the stickler in this equation is the conscious observer. Nietzsche provides a very good way of looking at the situation. So quote scientific interpretation of the world as you understand, might therefore still be one of the most stupid of all interpretations of the world, meaning that it would be one of the poorest in meaning. This thought is intended for the ears and consciences of our mechanists, who nowadays like to pass as philosophers and assist that, insist that mechanics, mechanics is the doctrine of the first and last laws on which all existence must be based, as on the ground floor. But an essentially mechanical world would be an essentially meaningless world. Assuming that one estimated the value of a piece of music according to how much it could be counted, calculated and expressed in formulas. How absurd would such a scientific estimation of music be? What would have one comprehended, understood, grasps of it? Nothing. Nothing really of what music is in it. End quote. The guy signs Frederick Nietzsche. Right and wrong. I was te- I was talking to a materialist materialist atheist who will remain unnamed. He clearly wasn't a thinker, though he would like to claim he thought about it. Uh, note: I am not condemning non-thinkers. There is no moral side to this. Turns out I had already developed out the worldview he claimed to possess ten tenfold more times than he considered. This made me realize how far most people actually go with this worldview. They only put one a toe in and are satisfied because, in a strange way. It gives comfort, but this is another conversation for another time. He affirmed there is no spirit remaining. He affirmed that there, we are made up of only atoms brought here by the Big Bang, through evolution, etc., etc. But although he said all this, he still held on to the concepts of good and evil. For example, it is obviously wrong to rape somebody and I, needless to say, agree, obviously. But is this word, word obviously, as a real stickler? Something can be only can only be obvious if it is right there in front of you, right there next to you, something in your face. You know the answer. Yet it is so in the face of materialism that it cannot see the problem. Why is it wrong to rape someone? Obviously wrong, no less. However, these questions were not seen as questions to be answered. After all, the answer is obvious, right? Well, here's the problem. If there's only mater- material matter... Things without meaning within themselves, and no exterior exterior lawgiver, then there is no case that could be made for the existence of good and evil. At least none that could stand a few minutes of scrutiny. You may say, well, rape is wrong because it is evolutionary disadvantageous to do so, so over time animals would feel averted to rape each other, so they would do it less. Well, let's assume this is a true in, te- in a technical sense. There is no source of good and evil or value found from that process but only one prescribed to it from the outside from above the statement implies that it is good to reproduce your genes in a long term in the long term and evil for those genes to die out but this morality is not found within the process of evolution but from an observer looking down onto it giving meaning to the matter this 
the idea that the de- this definitively defines meaning. The, the, the idea that this definitely defines meaning borrows tools outside of the materialist toolbox. So, uh, you following along so far? I am, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the liking of cereal brands is my favourite title. Um, I will give another example, roughly quoted from Douglas Wilson in a university discussion in the 70s. A girl said to Doug, you Christians are just like the Nazis and... I'm going to plug in episode 9, Nazis, from accessory to thought. You Christians are just like the Nazis. You're so certain you're right. You fill the world with conflict and you make me sick. Doug replied, you could not get me to fight Nazis unless I was sure they were wrong. And I could not be sure they were wrong unless I was sure I was right. And in order to be sure I was right, that conviction had to be grounded in something that was outside the world. After class, he said to the girl as she was a feminist, why is it wrong to mistreat women? She was very bright and knew what he was going, what he was doing and where he was going, and she said she disapproved of it as a matter of personal preference. Doug said, this is curious. I'm a patriarchal, patriarchal Christian, one who believes every word Paul ever wrote about headship and submission in the marriage. I believe the husband is the head of the wife, the way Christ is the head of the church, Wives should submit to their own husbands, and yet I continue to believe that the, to abuse women is sinful. God hates it. It is a sin in every culture, in every century, on every day of the week. God will judge it along with all the other sins on the last day, on the day of judgment. I am a patriarchal Christian, and I believe that. And you're a feminist, and you say you don't personally like it. So you don't like a per- particular brand of cereal, and someone else does like it. So you don't like rape, and someone does like it. How shall these things be resolved? Well, who's bigger? To your credit, she followed the argument completely, and her response was to say nothing and have her eyes filled up with tears. Here Douglas portrays the arbitrariness of any sense of meaning, value, and morality that has its foundations based on something or someone apart from God, outside of subjective reality. So experiential nihilism. But now what? You see, no matter my lofty ideas of meaning, I cannot simply convince you of meaning within the confines of my words. What can I do exactly to convince someone of meaning to the point that they don't just have a philosophical understanding of meaning, but a true belief and embodiment of meaning? Here lies the deeper issue. For nihilism is not a place of pure rationality, as one may be led to assume. It is, however, a mood of experience. Quote, Nihilism as it is experienced, the actual existential sense of meaninglessness and futility of life, is not the product of intellectual theory. End quote. Victor Frankl. True nihilism is not a derivative of scientific understanding. It is the experienced dread that ensues after the realisation that there is no meaning, no aim, no path. The, the new understanding that the dreams and values that you held uh, to and aspire to are but nothing. It is what you experience when you have rejected all value structures and refuse to take up, build or renew another. And that is certainly, certainly a sticky situation that must be fought on a personal level, not a rational level. Quote, Gradually it, it has become clear to me what every great philosophy so far has been, namely the personal confession of its author and a kind of involuntary and unconscious memoir, end quotes, beyond good and evil, Frederick Nietzsche.
This statement basically means that philosophies are built on already existing people and the worldview they possess, as opposed to coming to a conclusion outside of already believing it. Meaning that people first believe their life is meaningless before rationalizing it with the words of nihilism. A disease to be cured of. Even Nietzsche thought nihilism was a pathological disease that one should strive to rid themselves of and was not fully convinced that life had no meaning. Even though he had endured a period of nihilism and suffering in his life. Quote, God is dead, God remains dead, and we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was holiness, holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives? Who will wipe this blood off us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement, what sacred games shall we have to invent? It is not is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? End quote Frederick Nietzsche. Nietzsche perceived that his culture had stabbed God to death, so to speak, and not only was he dead, but it was a tragic event, and we in no way benefited in this murder. What does this mean? Our, cult- our, cult- our culture has neglected the notion of God, the definer of meaning, and with no one to look up to outside ourselves, where are, where are we to look? Where exactly is the path? Where is the shepherd to guide us? Nihilism, Nietzsche wrote, represents a pathological transitional stage. What is pathological in the in the tra- tremendous generalization? The inference that there is no meaning at all. End quote. The world of power of Frederick Nietzsche. Nietzsche became a nihilist and then came out of it, seeing it as a transitory stage. He realized that even if we have found no meaning, it does not mean there is no meaning, and he included that life is more valuable than any tradition or religion could explain. His conclusion, quote, In sum, the world might be far more valuable than we used to believe. We must see through the naivete of our ideals, and while we thought that we had accorded the highest interpretation, uh, accorded it the highest interpretation, we may not have given our human existence a moderately fair value. End quote. Quote, Let the youthful soul look back on life with the question, What have you truly loved up to now? What has elevated your soul? What has mastered it and at the same time delighted it? Place these venerated objects before you in a row, and perhaps they will yield for you, through their their nature and their sequence, a law, the fundamental law of your true self. For your true self, your true nature lies not hidden deep within you, but immeasurably high above you, or at least above that which you normally take to be yourself. End quote, Frederick Nietzsche. So active nihilism. Nietzsche called the kind of nihilism that one could overcome active nihilism as opposed to passive nihilism where the victim is left with nowhere to go seeing nihilism as a stop point stop sign and as consumed by desperation inevitably end up joining a mass movement as a last ditch effort to find meaning the latter stage of this passive nihilism was laid forth clearly in the 20th century put simply when posed with the idea of meaninglessness instead of asking if there is no meaning then why the active nihilist may say, if there is no meaning, then why not? Quote, nihilism reaches its maximum of relative strength as a violent force of destruction, as active nihilism. End quote. 
Quote, a new pride my ego taught me, and this I teach men, no longer to bury one's head in the sands of heavenly things, but to bear it freely, an earthly head which creates meaning for the earth. End quote, the will to power of Frederick Nietzsche. However, I do believe there is a gaping hole in the notion of active nihilism, although I do admit that it is far more desirable a worldview than passive nihilism. Another example of this active nihilism can be found in a German animated science YouTube channel, Cursed Kazakh, in a nutshell, in a video titled Optimistic Nihilism. On watching, the earlier, earlier quote my, uh, by Nietzsche comes to mind. This thought is intended, quote, this thought is intended for the ears and consciences, conscience, consciences of our mechanists, who nowadays like to pass as philosophers and insist that mechanics is the doctrine of the first and last laws on which all existence must be based on as the ground floor, end quote. The, vi- the, bi- the video basically outlines that the world is meaningless and our actions have no ultimate consequence as we are so insignificant and they claim that we have come to this conclusion due to our extensive knowledge of our universe and its physical properties. However, we shouldn't let this get, get us down. Uh, the, world, uh, the world and our lives have no purpose, so we get to create it for ourselves. And doesn't that sound fun? And besides, it means that the bad stuff we have done and experienced will not exist forever. This view, as outlined by Kirk Sacht in a nutshell, has some fallacies that I discussed in the first episode of the materialism series. A refutable materialism. So please watch that if you haven't already. But it is this second part I want to hold our focus on. I do believe that this view is a cop out, as if the believe as if the viewer believes that life is meaningless but doesn't want it to be. So pretends that it is really meaning really is meaningful with contradictory explanation to back it up. If one creates meaning from within uh, one oneself, from there previously being no meaning, it means that the meaning is arbitrary and only as stable as the person who made it. And if the person in question is mere insignificant, meaningless stardust, who in the right mind can call that meaning in any remotely true sense? I think this is, this is a move to provide comfort to the nihilist. It is an attempt to pretend that something that materialism doesn't remotely address in any significant way can just work in harmony with its pre-existing view, with no contradiction. Because the only way, to, the only other option is to adopt a new view that incorporates the notion of meaning and the differentiation of value. Are you still following? Mm. Yeah. So, rejection of narrative. So, get your heads good on for this. Uh, and to go back to my short explanation of an active nihilist saying, if there is no meaning, then why not? Framing nihilism as a removal of arbitrary meaningless barriers, the very view is a contradiction to nihilism. It assumes there is something to be freed from. It assumes the existence of something to overcome. It assumes the existence of an I- uh, assumes an ideal of the true active nihilist that we should all strive to be. And that is certainly a strange way to say there is no meaning. It incorporates narrative, a story, uh, and that is where we find the deepest reservoirs of meaning. You see, definitions of nihilism also include the rejection of the existence of knowledge, essentially emphasizing the point that we are mere outcomes of mindless chemical processes without free will, meaning anyone with our precise chemical makeup would perform the same actions under a given scenario, meaning it rejects the notions that we humans could ever know anything that would be objectively true about the world, since we are, again, mere random processes, and any perceived knowledge would just be illusionary. 
This view does a very a few very bizarre things, logically speaking. For one, it undermines its own credibility of being true the instance it is said, the same as the, the statement, if it's true, it's false. And also, it rejects the notion that the personal lived out experience that we call consciousness plays any part in the world, for it is only an illusion of what the real world is. Yet it has no definition of what the so-called real world may be. And the, view, and the view says, yes, of course we cannot give a definition, because knowledge doesn't exist, which paints another flaw as reason why it's a correct view. However, I have a better reason it cannot give a definition of what the real world may be. It rejects the method by which we hold views on anything. It utterly puts aside our conscious reality. There is no so-called real world without a viewer of that world. There is also no such thing as objective experience of the world, if by objective experience you mean the direct experience of the physical processes that control a system. For example, how can the fact that a specific proton is travelling at 16.245 metres per second relative to another specific proton be directly experienced? The statement makes no sense, because there is an implicit rejection of narrative in that explanation of experience which negates what it means to experience anything. Therefore, like in my first episode, it uses circular reasoning to conclude there is no meaning or knowledge by first limiting the definition of the world to one that excludes meaning and knowledge from the get-go. Like a man who's only blind because he's forgotten to open his eyes. Objective meaning. So how do we get to a worldview that properly addresses the notion of meaning? and the differentiation of value. I do believe that either meaning does not exist at all on any level, or it does exist on, on some degree, unavoidably, on every level. I do not believe there is any middle ground here that can hold any water. In other words, for there to be meaning, it must be objective and written into the fabric of the universe, so to speak, for it to hold any water. And the only way for that to be the case is if it comes from a superhuman authority, an observer who is unknowable, indefinable, the only uh, the only single thing that can name themselves, the origin of all definition. An observer, because only an observer can differentiate meaning and value. Unnameable and self-naming, because if something could name it, if something could define their borders without, uh, apart from the rest of the world, then it is not the highest thing. It wouldn't be the origin of definition, for another would have to, have to own the title. Someone that is self-existing, who needs no other to define them. So these are the options, and this is not a gods of the gaps. Either consciousness is properly addressed, or it isn't. God is dead? Maybe so. But I follow the gods who knows his way out of the grave, as Chesterton puts forth. Christendom has a, had a series of revolutions, and in each one of them, Christianity has died. Christianity has died many times and risen again. For it had a God who knew the way out of the grave at G.K. Chesterton. That is the end of my essay. Any thoughts, Ben? This is accessory to thought, after all. <laughs> um, <laughs> nihilism. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Nihilism. Nihilism. Do you know any nihilists, Josh? Well, every atheist would, when pressed would say, yes, I'm a nihilist. I don't believe there's meaning. And they use this 
belief system of there is no meaning to then justify meaning in their lives like you said there is no meaning so why not yes it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a curtain that they draw to try and block out the light of any kind of truth that is more than who they are and i think one of the most important things as i guess a human being is always like what's jordan peterson says we always quote him he's our hero (laughs) he always says um always strive to tell the truth or at least don't lie nihilism um i I believe is a cloak that hides that that just covers up lies that we don't believe are lies until they're shed into the light um but very good and very impressed I'm sure readers would be impressed as well. Readers, listeners would be impressed. I'm sure as listeners well. would fall asleep uh, <laughs> when they get to this point. Um, <laughs> sure, I'll say this now. Don't fall asleep, and then you can edit that to the very <laughs> start. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> what, I'll, like I'll put that every like ten seconds. Absolutely, absolutely. What I find interesting though is the fact that, again, this is something that really fascinates me about philosophy and people in general is if you think hard enough or if you look for something hard enough you can find these kinds of words like nihilism and atheism and to put people in to 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 put people in these little boxes that are manageable in our brains and i think if anybody's listening to our podcast and isn't really quite isn't really a thinker start with these words and these definitions because every single person is complex and every single person has their own uh, angels and demons (coughs) <coughs> excuse me um if you can if you can somehow put people into boxes large amounts of people's into boxes and then split those box compartmentalize um uh your thinking can become a lot a lot more streamlined and you can get to things quicker because you're not only stu- with the process of these kinds of words you're not only just studying your friends but you're studying every single person who's ever going to be living and it's I didn't realize the, the term active nihilism <coughs> was a thing before I delved into this. Mm. But you know, yeah, no, I never nihilism to me was just the base kind of looking out for number one. But as I was just saying, if you're a thinker, go deeper. Always go deeper, um, and eventually you'll get to a foundation that you can't go deeper any longer, and it's forced you to go back up again. Ho! Ho! Uh, but what do you think about the one of the titles? The is like experience, experiential nihilism. Um, basically saying, very good, Josh. Um, but nihilism isn't made up of um, a series of logics, and that's what I mean. It's know. a it's a curtain to hide logic. It's a curtain to hide truth. It's let me do as I wish, as I am meaningless. But how, how do we get to the source of that? Because I I noticed that to show someone has meaning in their lives, this isn't necessarily the way to do it. But I I just I know that that's that's a whole that exists. I suppose I, how do we how do you? I suppose look at it this way. Right, people are say uh, electronic devices, right? And nihilists, atheists, people who are not believers, are built or can function batter- through battery power. But then Christians function through a kind of cord into a socket, right? Now, we're ta- and the power, source of power is 
God, and we're never ever going to run out of that power. But we're Seven also power cut. Wait, wait, what? No, <laughs> the the idea is we're never going to run out of power. Um, but we're also tied to him. We can't go very far from him because of the cord that we we're attached to that that faith. And but we're always going to function, and we're never ever ever going to cut out. What I find nihilists, atheists people who just don't have that kind of power source are looking and are always constantly changing their batteries because eventually that kind of worldview or aspect and you can you can apply this to debates as well that are not um um human centered are not not human centered sorry um god centered the constant changing of batteries of power sources of reasons for just just so that they can continue to function away from being bound to anything this idea that i'm only bound to myself look at me i can go anywhere i want i can think what i want i can do what i want all because of me but the batteries run down especially whenever these especially when you're looking at uh, people who have this eternal life's uh this eternal power this eternal faith that never needs to change their batteries never need to run low on power when there's always this constant energy and i find especially if you look at the abortion argument if about this me and you like we friendship really like we start we went to marches and stuff for it and it really kind of started with that um and it's been happening for so long every single argument that somebody makes for pro-choice is completely and perfect perfectly debunked every single time there's not a single new abortion argument out there for pro-choice that is not debunked but people still (laughs) people still are pro-choice and that's because they do not want to ever tie themselves onto something they do not not only that if uh you if you refute someone's uh point of well say most things but like uh keep it specific to abortion if you if you counter someone's point and then, and even to the point where they agree with you, mm. I've got people to do that. They're hardcore, like pro, mm. pro, uh, pro abortion. And then I was, uh, com- in a conversation, you know, what about this? What mm. about this? What about this? What about this? This is what I believe. This is my reasons. Yeah. And they're like, you know what? Like, I'm not sure I'm right anymore. Yeah, but that's, not, and I think you might actually be right. And then, and then you might see them talking to another person. They haven't changed their ways, yeah. even though. It's it's not Timothy it's talks not about that. a it's not based on, um, it's based on the emotions. It's based on your values yes. more than it is based on that's a what, logical. That's exactly of, what I'm saying. You know, you plugged them in essentially, and they they were they got a taste of what it is like to be bound to a logical, eternal source of thinking. But, they didn't, but they didn't. They, they didn't like. They didn't like being bound to it. They didn't like the freedom of not being able to go in their brains where they wanted to go. So they revert right back to their own kind of battery-powered way of thinking. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Well, how do you subvert subvert that? Um, I, 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 the same way I would approach anybody in any kind of debate is to start with base foundation. To start with. As long as I, I asked, uh, there's, there's a book by Gregory Kugel called Tactics, and he says, right, just make sure you understand exactly the base foundation of where these people are coming from. So if somebody says to me, all oh, you Christians are stupid, I wouldn't, I wouldn't immediately go, 
well, you think this is stupid. <laughs> you know, um, I wouldn't. I would first. I, I would ask questions first. You go, all right. Well, why do you think that? They give me some answer like, well, all you do is like you're the girl in um, your example, um, you cause violence and you you think you think you're always right and you you, you perfectly make me sick, and then I'm going, all right, okay, well that's all right, that's okay, well, that's not all right, but then so now that I understand the kind of thought process that she has from that, I'll ask more questions. Or oh, how how did you come to this conclusion? They usually tell me the story or something like yes. that and there's this kind of base personal experience and basically once you get down to then that foundation then you can build something but it's again it's always questions yeah, i always I, want I them i always want them to be the one talking because yes if they're the one talking they are unraveling themselves not not in a bad sense but an unraveling so that they get to grips to exactly what they mean because the last thing i want to do is judge somebody immediately on the statements that they say i want to judge somebody on their character and on how they got to these kinds of base statements so i can then understand how i can you know like i can have a conversation with them so um now what's this what was it say how do you how do you subvert it starting from that foundation all right well um did you right so i would, I would probably ask all right well here we go um can you describe jesus for me and they, well, nine times out of ten, people describe Jesus as this like awesome character, um, and then sometimes I'd like, but well, I don't think he existed at the very end. And then I would say, well, you know, Christians are meant to mirror Jesus. Do you think we're doing a good job? Nine times out of ten, people say no. People always separate Christians and Jesus. Non-Christians separate Christians and Jesus, even though Christians are trying to say, well, we're trying very, very hard to be like Jesus, but according to you, we fail every day. And then I go, okay, can I ask you a question? Uh, if Christianity is true, would you be a Christian? And they would probably say, no, I don't really understand it. And then I can explain that. And that's how a conversation happens. And that's not me. That's me in that conversation. And that's not me. That's me taking out their batteries and plugging them into a power source that can continue to be a great conversation and continue to go and can never, ever, ever run out of juice. I don't, I've never had a conversation where um, any kind of questions about faith or christianity or even the beginnings of the universe runs dry abortion runs dry because eventually people for choice run out of run out of, um, run out of arguments and like you said you can go through every single one and debunk them but they're never going to change and i think it's something to do with being comfortable they don't want to be bound to anything they only want to be bound to themselves and whenever they find that themselves have run out of juice they'll find another thing to, to replenish it and um it's a, i can't believe i didn't use this it's exactly what jesus was saying um about uh if you drink from my cup uh, the woman at the well and he said uh, can i have a drink and then and then she says no i'm samaritan and then jesus said well if i can give you everlasting water so that you'll never be thirsty again you will never run dry you'll never and she was like truly let me have this and i think that's what people are honestly searching for this kind of mindset that they never ever have to be they never have to be questioned again they never have to be put out there to try and explain why they are and i think that's one of the biggest things especially youth are trying to 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 to, to achieve to live in a kind of state of mind where they never have to explain why the way why they are the way they are they just want people to know that that's that and that's 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 heaven like in heaven you don't need to explain to anyone why you're in heaven <laughs> the evidence you're in heaven is that you're in heaven and that is that's that's peace of mind the fear the fear of being judged no one's going to judge you 
you know there's going to be always conversations there's always going to be adventure there's always going to be things to explore but nobody is ever going to look at you and say you shouldn't be here and i think that's such a small statement but the the, the weight of that except the uh, rps except the rps <laughs> we need to edit out. <laughs> um oh flip why did you say that on the oh no <laughs> um oh flip's sake anyway <laughs> moving on um oh, sorry yes, it's such um, a let me just it's such a it's such a small little thing that you can just take out of somebody but once that's once that's removed then life is just so easy and that is a little piece of heaven and you can have that whenever you read the bible and have the eternal parkour yeah. in the end what's the name of the tactics guy Gregory Kukul. Gregory. Right, so I watched a... Uh, well, I might as well have... Re- I haven't read Tactics, but I might as well have mentioned much. Yeah, no. How much you talk about it. But um, <laughs> I watched a... I listened to a podcast where he was talking, and he basically says something about they're, they're like uh, sowers, and then they're reapers, mm-hmm. pretty much. Right? Yes, yes, I know this one. And... Oh, right, okay. <laughs> Is that also in the book? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of course uh sewers and rapers and basically he says he doesn't think he's ever raped uh but, but in the in the metaphor of sowing and reaping it's like sowing a seed of christianity and reaping their christian or whatever right mm-hmm. he's never really he's not a raper mm-hmm. but there he's been he's received many letters for example saying you are part of the pathway to my conversion etc etc mm-hmm. and he's gone many of those so he says there are sores and rapers and when you speak to someone you're all you're not just you're not speaking to the totality of them necessarily you're speaking to them on a part particular moment of their path mm-hmm. through their journey of mm-hmm. life and you need to keep that in perspective yeah look at the parable of the of obviously the sower and the seed scattered on the different grounds the the grounds are different people um the the sower isn't being careful on what to do he's sowing everywhere he can and it's only on the kind of ground that the seed will take root and that's and it's only the kind of people in which the seed will take root i don't believe i don't i don't think i'm a reaper nobody's (laughs) nobody's ever i'm I'm only 19 like and i really hope somebody does come up to me and says you were a part of the reason why i became a christian that would be absolutely unreal um but seeds all the time and fellow christians you're listening to this just cast your seeds wherever you can because what you're going to be known for in heaven you know at first is you know the way you might go into heaven you have to obviously give that accord to jesus and jesus is going to ask you questions and you know you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna explain to him what you did in jesus name you're gonna explain to everyone what you did in jesus name and that should really motivate us. I think it's the most motivational thing I can think of that one day I'm going to be in heaven and I'm going to explain to people what I did on earth for the glory, for, for to, to bring forth the kingdom of God when I'm in the kingdom of God. And I will hopefully bump into a few people who I thought weren't Christians. Yeah. I think that, to me, that's like the greatest, greatest thought ever. You One day you go to heaven and you see somebody who you never thought would be a Christian and you're like, you just sit down with them and you, oh that was just that's just that's just what i'm praying for but the point being you someone who sows a seed <coughs> is not necessarily the one to make it grow yes right 
Oh, they said sewers and gardeners or something. That's what it was. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, it's the same thing. Didn't make it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, well, um, but it all comes down with the deconstruction of people's worldviews of nihilism. The demolition of people's worldviews. The demolition of people's worldviews. But you do, that, you do that not by statements, but by questions. Gregory Kugel. <laughs> right, is that us? That's us. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, leave a like, comment, uh, subscribe. Share. Sorry, Oshin. Goodbye. <laughs>